Hi friends, Pastor Dave here. And before we get into our message this morning, I want to pause for just a minute and share with you some important family news. Several days ago, just after midnight, early on Thursday morning, um, our beloved brother and dear friend, Luis Palau, passed away in his sleep and went home to be with the Lord. Most of you know that over three years ago, Luis was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and the doctors did not actually give him much time, but in classic Luis fashion, he battled and the Lord blessed him and gave us three more years with this wonderful man. Many of you know that throughout his life, Luis was a force for the kingdom of God around the world. There are are literally hundreds of thousands of people who would say, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I declared Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I first heard the gospel presented to me by Luis Palau. Luis loved the gospel, friends. He loved his Lord Jesus and he made it his mission. It was his calling to declare that gospel truth, the good news of Jesus all over the world. That's who he was. But for us here at Cedar Mill, he was more than that. He was more than just a world evangelist. For us, Luis was a brother. He was a friend. He was a member of this church. He was a member of our church family for over 60 years. For many of those years, Luis served here on our elder team and uh, he would often deliver the message here on Sunday mornings. And and when he did, I like to say that we often got the best version of Luis. We got the less censored version. Um, and, And when he preached, he loved to tease us, Cedar Mill. He loved to challenge us, but we always left feeling built up and strengthened and encouraged. In fact, I remember when I first came to Cedar Mill, I was interviewing for the pastoral job here. And one of the final steps of that process was I had to go, my wife and I had to go and meet Luis. Now you can imagine that this was a fairly nerve wracking moment, meeting Luis Palau and trying to convince him that you should be his pastor, the pastor at his church. But in classic Luis form, just the way he did with so, so many people, he instantly helped Amy and I to feel comfortable. He encouraged us, he challenged us, and he, and he affirmed us. He said, I will, I will not just support you, I'd like to be your friend. And I know many of you feel the way that I feel, that Luis was a spiritual father to me, that he was a friend, that he was someone who strengthened your resolve to walk with Jesus and to follow him more faithfully in this world. That's, how, that's who Luis was to so, so many of us. So today, before we open the word of God, which is what Luis would want us to do, I want to take a moment and just thank God for this man's life. I also want to pray together for Luis's wife, Pat, I want to pray for his four sons, Kevin, Keith, Andrew, and Steve, all of whom attend uh, Cedar Mill and are part of our church family. I want to pray for their families because we are all going to miss this man. We're going to miss him dearly. But as I heard Luis himself say so, so many times, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
And that's where Luis is today. He's with his Lord and Savior. And I can only imagine the applause rippling through heaven when Luis stands before Jesus and hears his beloved Savior say these words to him, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's pray. Let's pray for for Luis and for his family and for our church. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the good news of salvation that you've offered us through your son. That by grace, for free, not through anything we deserve, we can have a right relationship with you starting now and forever, Lord. We thank you for Luis, the fact that he owned that, that he knew that, that he knew that grace that you offered. And that he didn't just know it for himself, but that he proclaimed it to the world. Thank you, Lord, for the way you used him, for the way you used his gifts. I thank you for the countless people who heard your message through Luis Pulau and who trusted you, Lord. I thank you for his authenticity. I thank you for his genuineness. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that he would always downplay himself and lift up your son. And Father, I I pray for the whole Palau family, specifically for Pat. Thank you for the woman that she is. I pray that you would strengthen her and encourage her in these days and weeks ahead. I pray for Luis's boys, as he would call them, Lord, his sons. I pray for Kevin and for Keith and for Andrew and for Steve. Comfort them, Lord. Remind them that, uh, that, you're, that you're their heavenly father and that their earthly father is with you. And then, Father, in these next weeks, as, as people around the world celebrate this man's life, that you would once again use that moment as we celebrate him to lift up your son. Because as your word says, when your son is lifted up, when Jesus is lifted up, you will draw people unto yourself. That's what Luis lived his life for. And it's what we pray for today. That's our prayer, God, that Jesus, you would be lifted high. We thank you for the way Luis did that. And we ask God that you would help us continue to do that still today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for praying with me, friends. And I also want to let you know, in case you're already wondering, which you probably are, that there is going to be a memorial service. It's going to be Saturday, March 20th. The service is going to be live streamed. And so um, I know the family wants you to be a part of that. They're going to live stream the service. You can find the details of that. And I think you can even find the service itself live streamed at palau.org. So plan to be a part of that on Saturday, March 20th. I know the family would would really, really appreciate that. Okay, now we're gonna do what Luis would want us to do. We're gonna open our scriptures today. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter four. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. We're continuing our series through this wonderful letter of 1 Corinthians. Today, we are in chapter four and uh, we're talking about a danger facing the church in Corinth. There's a danger facing this church and Paul is going to issue them a warning. And it's a warning that I believe is again, once again in this letter, not just relevant for them, but relevant for us. Not just that church, but our church. 
I remember a couple years ago, our family decided to go on a self-guided river rafting trip down the Deschutes River. And this trip was, was fraught with difficulties and struggles. But one of our main struggles, one of our primary struggles, was that we started in the wrong place. In our, in our minds and, and on the map, we thought that we had launched from point B, but we had actually launched from point A. And so all throughout the day, nothing was making sense. Things were just constantly confusing. We'd look at the map and think, okay, great, here comes that swimming hole. But then we'd go around the corner and it wouldn't be there. Or we think, okay, just around this bend, there's going to be a place to stop for lunch. We come around the bend, no place to stop. Or we started calculating when we were going to get to the location of our campsite for the evening, and it was not coming. We were not arriving. In fact, we didn't arrive until two hours after we planned. And the problem was this. Because we did not accurately know where we were, it was hard for us to determine what to do how to act, how to respond, how to behave. And the same thing is true in our passage today. Today, Paul is going to warn the Corinthians, you do not know where you are on the Christian journey. He's going to say, you are looking at the map and you think you're someplace and you're acting like you're someplace, but since you're not actually there, it's going to cause a lot of issues for you. Today, friends, as we work our way through this text, we're going to ask three questions, three guiding questions. Here they are. Where are we not? Where are we not on the map? Question two, where are we? Where are are we truly on the map? And then question three, what are the dangers of not knowing? Here we go. First question, where are we not? If you remember, the Corinthians have become a very boastful church. They're comparative, they're braggy, they're constantly trying to puff themselves up. We talked about this last week. And and Paul said this. He said, the reason you're doing it, one reason that you're constantly trying to sort of pump yourselves up is because your sense of self-worth and value are not rooted in this fact that you are of Christ. He's saying, you've forgotten this truth. God is your judge. He's the one who determines your value and significance, not others, not what they think, not even what you think about yourself. But it's God, his unchanging courtroom adjourning verdict in Christ that declares them and us to be justified. So the problem last week was, you guys are boastful and braggy because you don't know what you've already received. Today, Paul is going to flip the coin over, second side of the same coin, and he's going to say, not only do you guys not know what you've already received, you're also confused about what you have not yet attained. Today, Paul is saying, you need to know what you have. You also need to know what you don't have. Both are an issue. You think you're someplace on this salvation in Christ map, but you're not there yet. You're not there yet. Here we go. Let's read. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 8 and go through verse 13. Already you have what you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that is without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. 
For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Paul, again, is talking about where are we right now, right up to this moment, he says. Let's talk about these verses. Verse 8, Paul launches in to this conversation with a very sarcastic challenge. You have to hear the sarcasm. You have to hear the tone of his voice. Already you have all that you want? Already you have become rich? You have begun to reign Are you kidding me, he's saying, that you think this? In the ESV, it says, without us, you have become kings. He's taunting them a bit. He's saying, man, I, at the end of verse eight, he says, I I wish this really was true. I really wish those things were true of you because then we could get in on some of the action. Then we could get in on all this stuff and all this ruling and reigning and honor and all the things that you have. We could get on it if it was really true. And here's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you guys think you're better than you really are. That's what he's saying. You, you believe that you're more spiritual, that you're more mature, that you're farther along in your spiritual journey than is actually true. That's what he's saying the, about the Corinthians. And there's good reason for this. If we back up and think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're told that this is a community of believers that had a lot. We're told they were enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. These are smart, knowledgeable, um, very, very self-sufficient people. In other words, life in this world is going pretty good for these Corinthian believers. They're experiencing a lot of success. One might say that these Corinthians are a lot like upper middle class cedar mill suburbanites. A lot of comfort, a lot of status, a lot of praise, a lot of benefit from the world around them. And friends, Paul's telling them that this, this comfort, this status is causing them to forget where they actually are on the salvation in Christ map. A couple of years ago, a good friend of mine, uh, Pastor Josh Nordgren, uh, flew in to to speak at our, our men's retreat, and he did some really wonderful teaching about some of the things we're talking about today. In fact, at one point, he talked about the three phases or the three stages of salvation. And phase one is what we talked about last week. Phase one is justification. Justification. This is when we receive by grace through faith in Jesus that verdict from God. You are forgiven. You are made right with him. You are justified. And Paul reminded us last week that if you've trusted Jesus as 
Lord, you already have this. You've been justified. You've already visited this place on the map. Here's another way to define justification. When a believer is freed from the penalty of sin. When a believer is freed from the penalty of sin. Then, now there's phase two of salvation. Justification, now sanctification. Sanctification, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, is the, is the process where believers are being transformed into the image of Christ. It, it's the famous John the Baptist quote from John chapter 3 where he says, may there be less of me and more of him, more of Jesus. If justification is when a believer is freed from the penalty of sin, sanctification is where we are being freed from the power of sin. We're being freed from the power of sin. That's phase two, sanctification. And now phase three, justification, sanctification, glorification. Glorification is the place where believers in Jesus will not just be free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but also from the very presence of sin. In other words, in glorification, sin will no longer be a reality that we have to live with. Not a reality in this world, not a reality in us. And glorification, the scriptures tell us, happens when Jesus comes back, when he returns. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he comes back, then you also will appear with him in Glory. That's when we'll experience glory. Or 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, he says, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We someday will become like him. We will be like Jesus. Glorification is something that's coming or, or this from Romans chapter 8. And not only the creation, it's not just the creation he's talking about, but we ourselves, even us, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. So the creation groans and we groan. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're going to be fully redeemed, us and all of creation, someday when Jesus returns. That's glorification. Friends, what the New Testament teaches us over and over again is this. Someday, not today, someday we will be in glory. Someday the struggle of shedding sin from our lives will be over. Someday, the world around us will not be filled with hurt and pain and persecution and brokenness. Someday, we will be there. Someday, we'll be in glory. Someday, glorification will arrive. But we are not there yet. We're not there yet. Now, some of you are thinking, of course we're not, Pastor Dave. We did not need you to spend all this time telling us this. It's obvious. Have you looked around? We're in a health pandemic. We're in a racial justice pandemic. We're just on the, well, we're in the middle of a political pandemic. No one in our world thinks we're in glory. However, what we read today is that the Corinthian Christians were tempted to pretend that they were. 
And I think we are too. I think we're not that much different than they were. I think that even though most of us would clearly state glorification is to come, that there's this hidden expectation, there's this very subtle belief in you and in me and sometimes in the church that we should be there, that, that we should be right and the world around us should be right, that things should be better off. We like to pretend like we should be in glorification. But friends, let's get real clear on the first question. Where are we not? Paul is saying, we are not yet in glory. Second question, then where are we? Where are we on this salvation map, on this salvation journey? Where are we in these three phases? Well, we already know we're not in glorification. Last week, Paul reminded us that we've already been, we already have, we've already received justification if we've trusted Christ as Savior. We've already been there on the map. And so the obvious answer is we must be in this middle place, this phase two. We must be in sanctification. We must be in this place where we are being freed from the power of sin. The great sculptor Michelangelo had this belief that every single block of stone has a statue inside of it and that it's simply the task of the sculptor to discover it. He was, he was fond of saying, my job is to simply remove all that is not intended until only the sculpture remains. My job is to simply remove all that is not intended until only the sculpture remains. Friends, this is such a great image for what the sanctification process looks like. God, the great sculptor, chipping the sin and brokenness and offensiveness and deficiency off of you and off of me until the only part that remains is who we are in Christ. This is what we're going through right now in this phase, the sculpting process of sanctification. This is why in our passage today, Paul paints such a strong image of struggle. He's talking about this chipping away process. He says, verse nine, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to human beings. And Paul here is drawing on a very, very familiar and vivid image. He's talking about when a Roman general would win a great victory. And he would come back into the town, into the city, most often back into Rome. And there would be this huge celebration, a celebration with singers and dancers and musicians. And the parade would come into town and the general would be leading the parade with his troops and his horses and his chariots as sort of this, this demonstration, demonstration of his enormous power and might. And then, and then following the general and his soldiers, there would be other soldiers who were carrying the spoils of war. And then behind them, there would be prisoners in chains. And then finally, at the very end of the line, at the back of the procession, were those prisoners who were to be taunted, who were to be ridiculed. 
This is the group that would be made a spectacle of in the arena. They would be taken to the arena and they would be ridiculed and mocked and made a spectacle of mostly unto death. Friends, what Paul is saying is that you Corinthians think that living for Christ in this world means experiencing glory, having all that you want, becoming rich, living like kings is what we in America call the good life. The good life. You think living for Christ equals living the good life. And, and Paul is saying, but that's not true. That's not always the case. That's not the case for us apostles. In fact, while you guys are pretending in Corinth to live in glorification, we're back here wrestling through the process of sanctification. He's saying this world isn't glorified. It doesn't celebrate always Christian values and Christian living. He's saying sometimes, sometimes we, we get made fun of. Sometimes we're a spectacle. Sometimes we get taunted and ridiculed for who we are and who we stand for and how we live. The world isn't always going to celebrate you. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. Do you think living for Christ is, it makes you wise in the world's eyes? We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty and we are in rags and we are brutally treated and we are homeless. He's, he's talking about all the difficulty of living for Jesus in this world. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, in glory, someday, everything is going to be right. Everything is going to be hunky-dory. But we are not in glory. We are in the hard, difficult struggle of being sanctified of living in a world that is not redeemed and that often opposes who God is calling us to be. Friends, Paul is reminding the Corinthians and us where we are on the map. And he's saying, don't forget where you are. You are in this place. You are in this process of being sanctified, of being freed from the power of sin, of sin that's still here, still in this world and still in you. Let me speak real plainly. Both you and the world you're living in are still 100% in the sanctification process. That's where you are. Now, certainly some of you have experienced some sanctification. Certainly God has already chipped some chunks of marble, some chunks of sin off your life. You've experienced victory. You've, you've experienced some freedom. I'm not saying, so yeah, there's parts of you that have been sanctified, but there's still more work to do. You are still being sanctified. This is why Paul often says stuff like this. This is Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, is doing a good work, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's glorified, right? But it's this process. He's saying, God began a good work in you, but he's going to bring it to completion. He's still working on your life. He's still at work. So where are we? We are in the process of sanctification. Final question. What are the dangers of not knowing? Why is this a big deal? Why is it a big deal to be confused about where we are on the spiritual map? I'll offer you two dangers that I, that I, I see in this text and in our world. One is for life for Christians in the world. One is for life for Christians in the church. Okay, first of all, in the world, the great danger of falling into this sort of glorification mindset 
is that if you buy into this idea that now, because I'm a Christian, the world is gonna always accept me and love me and celebrate me and things are gonna go smooth and easy for me. I'm gonna be successful. If you buy into that glorification mindset, you're really gonna struggle when all of a sudden you encounter difficulty and opposition. When society says, we don't like you, we don't like what you stand for, we don't like what you believe, when there's pushback on your life from the world. This is the Corinthians. They're saying, this is great, the world loves us, the world thinks we're wise, the world thinks we're strong, our city, in our city we're honored, you know, we're well off financially. This living for Jesus thing is great, just how we wanted it to be. But then Paul says in verse 13, we, the apostles, he says, have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. I mean, you guys, you get, for you, life is awesome, but we've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. Here's what he's saying, friends. Here's, here's the challenge to them and to you and me. Because the world we are living in is still in this place of sanctification because it's not restored and redeemed and glorified yet, The world is not always going to like and appreciate and value what you value as a follower of Jesus. So get ready for that. Get ready for people to look down on you for your faith. Get ready for them to say, you're a Christian? Ugh. Get ready for them to say, I disagree with you. Get ready for them to say, you're a fool. You are weak. You are the scum of the earth and the garbage of the world. Are you ready for that? Sounds fun, doesn't it? This is a super uplifting message. Now, I'm going to clarify something here. I am not saying try to get the world to look down on you. A lot of Christians make this mistake. Don't try to get the world to look down on you. I'm not saying go out there and act like a jerk and act like an idiot and join QAnon. No, don't try to get the world to look down on you. But when you are living for Jesus, when you are reflecting Jesus and the world doesn't always just celebrate you and honor you, do not be surprised. And don't let it be a stumbling block to your faith. Friends, I believe this is a prophetic word for us in America right now. And I think that's true because we have gotten really used to living like the Corinthians in this country. We've gotten really used to living in a culture where Christians are celebrated and honored and respected and esteemed and seen as wise. That's been part of the American culture on some level for a long time. But friends, I am not sure it is always going to be this way. In fact, I'm pretty sure it won't be. So remember Don't forget, living in this world is not the same as living in glory. So when persecution comes, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Do not let it set you back in your faith. That's danger number one. Here's danger number two. This one's in the church. In the church, when we fall into this glorification mindset that that now as followers of Jesus, we're expected to have arrived right? Because in glory, we've arrived. In glory, there's no more sin. There's no more struggle. There's no more difficulty. We have arrived. And when we fall into this mindset, all of a sudden, we're expected to have put all of our sin behind us. 
And in a church that kind of adopts this way of thinking, even just subtly, we accidentally create a culture where we must hide and pretend. Where there's not room for failure and and there's little room for doubt and there's no room for being wrong or for messing up. Friends, in churches that confuse sanctification with glorification, people are rarely open about their struggles. Confession is a rare and difficult thing. Boasting and puffing up are actually something that you must do because you have to convince people that you are more a more per- perfect Jesus follower than you really are. Friends, fellow Cedar Millers, can I tell you this? This is a deadly, deadly thing for the human soul. And it will utterly destroy the church. This mistake is a deadly reality for the human soul. And it will utterly destroy the church. This is why Paul speaks so strongly against this. In fact, Jesus speaks pretty strongly against it as well, time and time again. In Luke chapter 12, he says this. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Be on your guard, like watch for it. Be on alert. You do not want to let this in. Be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, friends, is a life and an attitude where you pretend to be more holy and righteous and good than you really are. And in this illustration, Jesus says, he says, it's like yeast because yeast is incredibly contagious. It spreads. In other words, just a little bit of pretending can work its way through an entire church and create a culture of hypocrisy. It is something we must be on our guard for. This is why at Cedar Mill, one of our seven core distinctives, one of our seven core defining characteristics that we long for God to work in us is this. Relate authentically. We know God uses transparency for transformation. Relate authentically. And the question is, why can we be transparent? Why can't can we be, be authentic? Here's the answer. Because we are still in the process of being freed from the power of sin and there are still some chunks of marble that God needs to chisel off of me and there are still some chunks of marble that God needs to chisel off of you. That's the truth. That's the reality. And at Cedar Mill, we say, be real about your failures. Be honest about your struggles. Be transparent about your sin because we are a community of justified Jesus followers who are all, every single one of us, in this process of being sanctified. We still have a long way to go. I'm still being sanctified. You're still being sanctified. Pastor Ashley's being sanctified. Dan Larson's being sanctified. Shoot, even Pete Amen is still being sanctified and he has been an elder in our church for like 40 straight years. Sorry, Pete. Love you. So there is no need for pretending. There's no room for it, really. It's a cancer in our church, and it does not create the kind of soil in which people can be authentic and grow in Christ. Friends, 
Maybe the greatest danger for people in a church like ours, a successful, comfortable, upper middle class suburban church, maybe the greatest danger for people in a church like ours is not that we would adopt some heretical belief or fall into some secret sin, but that we wouldn't feel the freedom to confess it if we did. But that we wouldn't feel the freedom of knowing I'm still being sanctified. I started today talking about Luis Palau, and I'm going to close today in the same way. One of the things I appreciated most about that man was not his charisma, was not his passion, not his sense of humor, not his fame, not his clout, not his wisdom, although he had all those things. But the thing I loved most about Luis Palau was his authenticity. I love the fact that when we were together, he would confess and talk about his shortcomings and his failures and his regrets. I, I love the fact that when I asked him, what should we talk about at your funeral? We had this conversation a few times over the last number of years. He, he would always say something to this effect, don't talk too much about me. I'm just a man. I'm just a sinner who's been saved by grace. You make much of the cross. He told me that recently. You make much of the cross. Friends, today, Luis is in glory. He, he's in that next phase of the game. He's, he's in that glorification kind of segment of the salvation journey, but not us. We are not there yet. We are still here in this fallen, broken, messed up world. And that means that God still has some work to do in us. He still has some work to do in me and in you. He's still got a chisel in his hand and he can't wait to make us into the masterpiece that he longs for us to be in Christ. Our challenge today by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me and in you and in us is that here at Cedar Mill, we would be an authentic place where God is free to do what he wants to do. Sanctify you, sanctify me. Lead us in that process of being freed from the power of sin. Amen.